Hello and welcome to The Best Book Ever, the podcast where we get to know interesting people by asking them about their favorite book. I'm your host, Julie Strauss. If you follow me on Instagram, you may have seen that I absolutely lost my mind over the book Darling Girl a couple of weeks ago. Darling Girl is a modern-day examination of the Peter Pan fairy tale in which Wendy Darling's granddaughter Holly must take on Peter Pan in order to save her own daughter's life. I think it's such a clever take on the story with really fresh characters and a very nuanced and mature look at the real heart of the Peter Pan story. Today I have a special treat for you. The author of that marvelous book, Liz Mikalski, is here to talk to me about the original Peter Pan and why she wrote her take on it. Along the way, we discussed her love of the fantastic in everyday life, the joys and grief of sending adult children into the world, the often tragic life of J.M. Barry and how it influenced his strange literary world, and why Peter Pan is the best book ever. Hi, Liz. Welcome to the Best Book Ever podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. I'm so happy you're here. You already know from my gushing social media posts how much I love your book. We're going to get to that in just a minute. We're going to start with where it all began. Can you tell me about your reading life and how you became a reader? So I was a very... I don't want to say very, but I was a late reader and I truly remember being in kindergarten and it was like the last day and the teacher was holding up flashcards with with different words. And I remember her saying, wow, so many of them can already read. And I remember sitting there thinking, I can't read and being kind of nervous about it. Um, And in first grade, I really struggled. I remember my parents sitting and reading with me um, those you know, really short kind of horrible um, readers of the 19, you know, early 1970s with the, the Dick and Jane and all that. Um, and I remember my dad bringing home um, a toy that you needed know, spun and it would like point to a word and you could make words with it. And it just didn't click. Like I, I remember memorizing the stories so that when he turned the page, I knew what to say. And, you know, it, he was all, you know, like, oh, she's got it. And then I think he kind of was like, hmm, and, you know, stuck to the pages together, something like that. And I was busted. Um, but then all of a sudden it just clicked, like, like just almost overnight. And I remember so clearly being in math class in second grade and having started the Chronicle of Narnia series, the Chronicles of Narnia. and reading The Voyage of the Dawn Treader during math class, which explains so much about my math, um, under the desk and Mrs. Paul coming around and kind of gently putting the cover down on the desk um, and not, you know, calling me out or anything like that. And from then I was just obsessed. I was the kid who was always reading under the desk. I was the kid who was reading with flashlights at night. I was the kid who was, you know, so happy when they had free reading time. Um, And I just never looked back. Were you always drawn to these magical stories or these sort of fantastical stories? I think I remember reading other things around that time, you know, like Little House on the Prairie, which was a series that I also really loved. But there was something about 
that experience of the Chronicles of Narnia being the first books that I really lost myself in, that it, it really was like opening a wardrobe door and finding this whole other world there. Um, and I think the magic of that just stuck with me. And because of that, I've always kind of been drawn to books like that. I mean, I loved um, the Mary Stuart series, um, The Crystal Caves about Merlin. Those were something that I read, you know, and they're, they're you know, billed as adult books, but I probably tore through them in third grade. Um, and I'd read all of, you know, Tolkien's books by the end of fourth grade. Wow. Um, it was just something that I really loved, you know, and, and even today, I'm much more likely if my kids have recommend, and my kids are big now, they're, you know, tw- uh, 21 in a week and 17. Um, if they recommend a book that's YA or, you know, even elementary school, I'm, I'm first in line to grab it. Um, I just finished a great book, a graphic novel called Taproot about a boy who um, is a gardener and um, can see the dead and falls in love with a uh, ghost named blue. And it was just, it was just beautiful, but I just, I love that sense of possibility. I love the idea that magic is just always right around the corner and we just have to really look for it to find it. I read everything um, except I really don't do gory um, Mm. or, or super, super scary where, you know, kids are are getting, you know, kidnapped or whatever. Um, But I read pretty much everything but I'm always most excited by books that land in that category. Um, you know, anything by Neil Gaiman, anything by Alice Hoffman. Um, I'm usually like at the front of the line to buy it. Do you remember how Peter Pan, the story came into your life or, or what role it played in your childhood? So I loved the movie. And I remember as a child going to Disney World and I was really very nearsighted um, and riding the Peter Pan ride. And, you know, from the perspective of a you know second or third grader who was very nearsighted, the ride looked so real. Like I remember looking down and seeing, you know, the pirate ship and seeing Wendy, you know, in her bedroom and just being blown away by how magical it was. And, you know, going back as an older teen um, it, I was so looking forward to it and, and it just wasn't the same, you know, it had lost that magic. And I think that's such a good metaphor for adulthood, um, you know, that we can see it when we're little because we're not really necessarily seeing the world the way it is. And then as mm-hmm. an adult, it's so much harder to find that. Um, but I had never read the book until I was an adult. Um, and, and I think I read it in like my 20s and liked it, but it wasn't anything that made me go oh my gosh, this is, you know, the book of, of my life. Um, and then I had this crazy dream one night out of the blue about uh, a girl in Wendy Blue who's down the bottom of a stone turret and there were no doors, but there were windows and boys in Peter Pan Green were flying in and out saying things like, well, who will save us now? You know, now that she's going to die, who will sacrifice themselves for us? And I remember waking up and the girl was hooked up to all these crazy like medical devices. And I remember waking up and thinking that was creepy. Um, And I dug out Peter Pan and reread it. And, you know, it's so not what we think of. If, you know, if, if you think of Peter Pan 
you tend, or at least most people that I've spoken with tend to think of this very lighthearted, happy, magical experience. And it is that, but it's also really, you know, somebody called it, it's really a tragedy. It's this very melancholy, poignant book, really about loss. Um, And I just was blown away when I read it again. Is it, how did you share it with your own kids? So my kids read um, the book when I was writing my book, because I think it was laying around. Um, But we watched the original Disney film. And then I love the 2003 um, Peter Pan, which is magical. It's the live action one. Is that the one with Jason Isaacs? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's phenomenal it's for me at least it's just I loved that movie so I think we probably watched that two or three times um but it wasn't really I mean you know there are other classic fairy tales that we read a lot more when they were young in leading up to how you chose to write your book is there a character in Peter Pan that you particularly identify with when I was writing this book I gave it to a friend and said, um, you know, could you take a look at it for me, please? I'd written a couple of drafts by then and I felt like I needed to show it to somebody. And she said, sure, what's it about? And I said, it's about Peter Pan. And she said, okay. And she took it and she read it. And then she gave it back a couple of weeks later. And I said, what did you think? And she was like, it's not about Peter Pan. And I'm like, it's about Peter Pan, says Peter Pan, right in the cover, book about Peter Pan. Um, And she said, it's not about Peter Pan. Take it home and figure it out. And I was like, ah. And I said, thank you so much, took it um, and left it somewhere and stomped around for a couple of days saying, why did I ask her and blah, blah, blah. And then I read it again. I was like, oh, she's right. You know, it's not about Peter Pan. It's about my kids growing up. And it's about my oldest getting ready to go to college. And it's about having to let them go out into the world after trying so hard for so long to keep them safe and keep them with me. And it's about that grief and that loss and that fear. So I think, you know, when I was reading it, when I was reading Peter Pan, you know, I really identified a little bit with Mrs. Darling. Um, And, you know, how, what was she doing and how was she feeling, you know, when she found her children gone? But also, how does it feel to be her later in the book when Wendy goes back every year to Peter Pan after all their adventures, you know, Peter Pan comes for her. And takes her back to Neverland to you know, do spring cleaning. Um, and how does it feel to be Mrs. Darling at the window watching her daughter leave? And then later, how does it feel to be Wendy when it's Wendy's daughter's turn, when it's Jane's turn? How does it feel to watch her go off on those adventures? Um, you know, was she sad? Was she scared? Was she, you know, thinking of her own time? Um, so I think that, you know, the, the mothers in Peter Pan with the people I identified with and then extrapolating that to my book, it was Holly. I hate the fairy tale, (laughs) (laughs) but I also, I I love hate it because I grew up in California. Disneyland was a huge part of our lives. We all love the ride. And the movie was fun when I was a kid because mainly because it's fun to fly, right? That's so much fun, but I, it just takes a little bit of maturity to realize, oh, this is a very fraught relationship with motherhood that these characters have. And, and, and I hate the relationship with motherhood that 
everyone on the island has. Because <laughs> all I can think about is Mrs. Darling. Her children were kidnapped. It's really, it's really a tragedy when you read it, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, and it's, and it's sad on so many levels. It's sad for Mrs. Darling. It's really sad for Peter. Um, you know, for me, Peter is somebody who throughout the book is looking for someone to say they love him best. Mm-hmm. They'll do anything to be with him. And nobody really does that. You know, I mean, the Lost Boys, I guess, do to, to a degree, but it's, it's not the same. It's not that big primary relationship that he wants. Um, and it's sad. He's, he really is a lost boy. It's, it's really interesting because I did a lot of reading about Jay and Barry. Um, that was the thing I did after I read Peter Pan. I just kind of went down this huge rabbit hole of his life. And he, he had a really tragic life. His mother um, was eight when her own mother died. And so at eight, she was responsible. She became the, the woman of the house. She did the cooking, the cleaning, the caretaking. Um, when she grew up, she and she did that until she married her husband, David Barry. Um, they had a big family. They had 10 children. She lost two of them before Jan Barry was born. And her um, son, who was the oldest, was the love of the family. He was smart. He was, you know, talented. He was athletic. He was all these things. And when he was about 14, he fell and he hit his head. And he died. And Jay and Barry was six. And his mother, who had been this very strong personality, took to her bed, really didn't come out. And so Jay and Barry, dressed up in his dead brother's clothes, stood in her room, you know, with his hands in his pockets, the way his dead brother used to stand, whistled this little song that his dead brother used to whistle. And his mother sat up in bed and she said, is that you, David? Is that you? And he said, no, Ma, it's just me. And that was the defining experience of his life. He, um, you know, he never really seemed to recover from that. From what I read, he um, never, he had what they uh, think was a form of um, dwarfism caused by stress. He never grew above five foot three. Um, They think he never went through a, a, like a full puberty he wound up moving to England, becoming a playwright. He got married. Uh, he married this beautiful actress. Um, he wound up meeting the David Lewin's family with um, all the boys and becoming very good friends with their mother um, and kind of taking over in that family. The, he started you know, going over there, helping to put the kids to bed. He kept you know, taking them on vacations and doing all these things. And the father, Arthur, was kind of, you know, at first, I think, from what I read, he was, you know, it was it was nice having this kind of celebrity in their family. And towards the end, he was like, you know, dude, step off a little. Um, and Arthur came down with cancer and he died. Um, and two years later, Sylvie, Sylvia died. And J.M. Barry wound up getting custody. Um, and Sylvia, their mom, had written this this you know, letter of intention of what she wanted to have happen to her kids. And in it, she said she wanted Jenny to come and stay with the children. And Jenny was, I think, her sister. And um, the, the maid was supposed to help out Mary. And when Jay and Barry was transcribing it, it became Jimmy, which was his nickname for her. Um, and so he wound up getting custody of all five of the boys. And and they all kind of had tragic lives. They, um, One of them, the oldest, went off to 
World War II shortly thereafter and died at 21. Um, one of them grew up and suffered some, some severe, severe depression all his life. Another one um, grew up and threw himself in front of a train um, and committed suicide that way. Uh, another one drowned under very suspicious circumstances at 21. They thought that perhaps um, it was suicide at the time. And then the, you know, the youngest, um, Nico, is the one who kind of grew up and had the most normal life out of all of them. But it, so he was surrounded by all this tragedy. And, you know, his wife divorced him. Um, it turned out she was having an affair and he went to her and he was like, you must, you know, you must stop this. And she was like, huh. And he was like, I'll divorce you. And she was like, bring it on, buddy. Um, and so he wound up divorcing her. Um, but he still paid um, her expenses. He would give her a check every year, but he gave it to her at a private dinner on the date of what would have been their wedding anniversary. So there were like all these like mind games with the women in his family. And, you know, it's just, um, he, he just was a really fascinating character. And, and even Peter Pan came from a book that he was writing called The Little White Bird which is this very creepy and disturbing story about a man who um, becomes obsessed with a young boy and says in the story that he will do anything to get the boy to love him more than the boy loves his mother. Um, and it's, you know, got this very um, disturbing passage where he finally gets the little boy to spend the night with him. And he's like in, you know, just spasms of delight while he's undressing him. It's really very creepily written when looking through today's lens. Um, but in it, he tells this boy this whole fantasy to keep him with him of this other little boy who lives in the gardens and never has to grow up and stays with the fairies at times. So it's, you know, I think the story, and that's where Peter Pan comes from. And so the story of Peter Pan to me has just all these different levels. You know, it's it's the book, but it's also Jim Barry's life and, and what shaped him. Quite literally, because he Peter Panned those kids. And he was Peter Pan himself. You know, I mean, he, you know, he really never grew up. Um, and the one of the things I found that was fascinating was one of the working titles of Peter Pan originally was The Boy Who Hated Mothers. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> of course so it just, was. There's no just subtlety. layers and layers, you know, and, and, and the book itself is so short and it's so beautiful. Like Peter Pan really is, the language in it is beautiful. The descriptions, you know, I still think about um, some of the little throwaway bits, you know, like there's a line in there where he says, you know, there's something about the stars had once done something so terrible that they were being punished by no longer being allowed to sing. And nobody could remember what it was because it had happened such a long time ago. Um, you know, there's just stories and stories and stories within it. And it's just been distilled down to just this very essence of a story, which is this boy who is always looking for love and never finding it. You know, and, it's, and I think that you're right. I think it completely reshapes the way I read the story, because when you read it and you don't know, it feels sad. Mm. But when you read it and you know, there's just this big gaping hole underneath the whole thing, you know, and, and I, I felt like when he was writing he was trying not to fall in. Um, so he writes this magical, magical story, this magical world, but that that kind of dark pool of despair is still underneath it. Mm -hmm. And you can't see it. You don't necessarily know it's there, but you can feel it. Do you, how did you approach that when your kids were young? Do you struggle with that? Because I always did. I really wanted my kids to have 
you know, that delight of the ability to fly by thinking happy thoughts. Of course, you want your kids to experience that magic and wonder. And then you as an adult are sitting there thinking, this is weird. This is not how we think about, this is not a healthy parenting relationship. This is not a healthy adult male, young child relationship. How did you handle that as when you were a mom of young kids so that they could be smart about life, but also experience magic in life? I I think I'm like the poster child for bad book parenting because, (laughs) you know, my kids in general, um, were listening to books. We, we did a lot of time in the car because their schools were in different places and I drove them. Um, and so we listened to a lot of books that were probably really above their pay grade. Um, <laughs> you know, like one of my favorite books of all time is The Graveyard Book by Neil Gaiman. Um, and they were listening to that. I think my son was like second grade. And it's, I don't know if you've read it, but it starts yes. off, it's very dark in the beginning. It starts off with, um, there's a killer in a house and he's already um, he's already killed this entire family, and he's looking for this last child, and then his mission will be complete. And you know, if I knew something was dark going into it, I would say to them, you know, this can be a little scary, and if you don't like it, we'll turn it off. Um, but I've always kind of thought that they take what they need and what they are able to take it appropriately and the things that are too dark or too scary um, tend to go not over their heads, but seem not to Mm. be absorbed the same way. Um, You know, and, you know, like with the graveyard book, um, it was such a a favorite magical story that we listened to it every year, every summer. That was like our big, you know, drive to the beach book um, until I realized somewhere along the way that this is not just this beautiful story of a little boy growing up in a graveyard with all these people who love him. Um, it's really about growing up and leaving the people you love behind, um, which hit around the same time that my daughter was, you know, talking about college, which left me in a puddle on the floor. So now we don't listen to that book anymore. <laughs> well, it's interesting to me that that's a book that you reference because it's another essentially lost boy book, isn't it? It really is, you know, and it's, it's, I think there's something about that genre that's just so poignant when it's well done Mm. um, that just really speaks on some level to me now as a parent in a way that perhaps it did not when I was reading it for the first time myself, you know, pre-child. Tell us how you came to the decision to write the book that this, your, your second novel, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Darling Girl, what, what prompted this story for you? Well, I think it was, I, I think really it was that dream that made me go down the whole path um, and look at Peter Pan. And I was just so fascinated by not just the book, but by Jay and Barry's life and, you know, what those characters really meant and what they represented. Um, and I just thought it would be really interesting to see where they were now, you know, if, if they had actually existed um, in our world 
because that's that's what's also kind of really charming about Peter Pan for me is it's one of those books where you know the magic comes into our world and it grows up and in a way it stops being magical you know the lost boys come here um and they go to school and they grow up and they forget how to fly and it's how does that how do, how do you keep that magic how do you keep that feeling that you grew up with that every door is an escape to narnia in a world where you now you know have to get up and go to work and you know pay the bills and you know do unpleasant things like you know vacuum the house and empty the dishwasher and things <laughs> like that um how do you keep that sense of magic alive um and i was just really interested in how jay and barry did it how he how he handled the lost boys and how he handled um the fact that the the wendy descendants are the ones who still get to go um john and michael don't go it's it's the girls who go but they go not to have adventures they go to clean house mm-hmm. you know so for me that was just really really interesting and i just kind of you know couldn't help but play around with that a little bit will you tell our listeners the premise of your book darling girl um it's it's about if peter pan um really existed um and if he grew up in london um because the book says he can't get older it doesn't say that he won't grow up um and that the wendy darling family also really existed and how um how they handled peter not being exactly what they were promised or exactly what they thought for all those years how do people react to this because people are very protective of the fairy tales of their youth. (laughs) Yes, they are. (laughs) I would love to hear how people react to the way you portray Peter Pan in your book, because he's not such a great guy. So I think there's a couple of things. So first of all, I think that as, you know, as a writer, I always write what I want to read. And you can't think about writing for other people because you'd be paralyzed. Um, so I, so when I wrote it, I was, I never really thought that much about other people reading it. Um, and cause also publishing is a crapshoot and you never know if everyone's going to get to read what you wrote anyhow. So you might as well write it for you because otherwise where's the fun in it? <laughs> um, you know, and it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be something that you've enjoyed doing to a degree. Um, so there's that. So when I wrote it, when I was done, I just thought, Somewhere along the, the line, it kind of occurred to me, like, hmm, like if this sells, it'll be really, it, you know, it might be interesting to see what people think of it. Um, but also, I feel like I'm on pretty firm ground um, because if you have read the original Peter Pan, um, Peter Pan is not that nice. I mean, he's just not that nice of a guy in the book. He does some really terrible things. Um, and I think that my Peter is, excuse me, a little bit of a logical extension of J.M. Barry's book. Um, and, and people seem to either love it or they seem to hate it. <laughs> um, and they apparently have no problem tagging me, you know, when they oh. hate it as well as when they love it. Oh, I know. Gross. Um, but it's just, you know, I, I think it's, 
I think that there are things that people hold dear in their hearts and Peter Pan to some degree is one of those things. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that, you know, on the one hand, I have to be respectful and say, you know, you are completely entitled to your opinion of Peter Pan. Um, I happen to disagree a little bit and that's okay too. Well, I think that's true of a lot of fairy tales Mm -hmm. in general. I mean, fairy tales are really dark stories. If you look at the original versions, um, you know, they're dark and they're bloody and, you know, things don't always end well. Um, And I think as a culture, we tend to dumb down that message sometimes and get caught up in complaining about the wrong parts of the story. Um, Mm. And I think that that's something that we've done, you know, I I think that's something that we've we've always done. Um, But it seems to be more vocal now for some reason. I I have to tell you, I was, I was especially charmed and fascinated. I thought it was a brilliant choice that Holly Darling makes youthful skincare products (laughs) on the, on page one, I started laughing and I thought, of course, of course, this is what the darlings are going to do. There's going to be something that has to do with preservation of youth. Right. You know, and and I think for me, that was kind of the fun of, of writing it and playing with it and turning things on their head a little bit. Um, because, you know, Peter Pan and his struggle never to grow up, never to get old, really, um, for the darling women, that's something that women face every day. I mean, it's not, it's not a fairy tale. It's not something out of the ordinary. Nobody writes books about it. Um, it's not magical. It's just what women do, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, I told you I was going to try not to gush, but I'm going to gush for (laughs) one minute. (laughs) I, I just thought you nailed motherhood and the struggle of motherhood and, and that urge to protect and also encourage flying And that's the part that was so deeply ignored and dismissed in the original fairy tale. And it felt to me, this felt to me like a corrective book. Like, that's a great fairy tale, but here's what that might really mean to people living it. Right. Yeah. I think it's, you know, for me, again, the, I love the book, Peter Pan. I think it's brilliant. Um, I have some, I don't want to say issues because that's too strong of a word, but I have some, I guess, pushback for J.M. Barry on how he portrays women because the women in the book to me are more like placeholders. You know, they're the Mm. idea of a mother, the idea of, um, and, and even, you know, Wendy, you know, she's a main character, but she doesn't get to really have the adventures. Mm. I mean, she's the one who goes there to make sure that people go to bed on time and, you know, brush their teeth and take their medicine. Um, She's not the one out fighting pirates or, um, you know, flying around the Island. And that to me was kind of at the heart of my book because 
when there are these people out having adventures, there's someone waiting at home for them, you know, and when they come home, there's someone there to make sure that they're welcomed and they're warm and they're fed and they're enrolled in school. Um, and with Holly Darling, I don't think that she's always the most likable character, but I think that with luck, she's somebody that you can understand why she makes the choices she does. You may not always agree with her, um, but you can see why she does. And and the other thing I tried to show was that, you know, she wasn't always a mother. You know, she was somebody who lived a little bit on the wild side. Um, you know, I there's actually a scene with when she first meets her husband where she's just this like, you know, laissez-faire, like, you know, I'll get in a car with a stranger that I, you know, have only known for 30 seconds and I'll drive with them for a couple of hours to get to my house and I'll sneak out the back door of my parents, you know, um, and do all these crazy things that I would kill my son in the future for doing. <laughs> yes. um, you know, so she has this, she has this life before she has children where she, you know, is romantic and she is impulsive and she is somebody who is willing to take huge risks and chances. And then life happens. And she deals with tragedy and she deals with loss and that profoundly changes her. Um, and it makes her into somebody who wants everything buttoned down all the time. And I think that that's true for a lot of, you know, parents and adults is, you know, you're not the person you were when you were 16, 17, 18, 25, you're somebody who has seen what can happen in the world. Um, and you desperately don't want it to happen to your kids. And so, so much of your energy and, and the essence of your being goes into creating this world for them that is as good and safe and pure as, as you can possibly make it. And it's, you know, and it's, and it's, it's an illusion, you know, knock wood here. It's, um, you don't have that control, but you, you do a lot of things to make it seem as if you do. I once heard when my oldest, who is now 25, when he was an infant, I once heard that the central grief of motherhood is that if we do it right, by definition, we put ourselves out of work. They will leave us. They will be successful without us. That's exactly, I think, what your book hit is by definition, we lose them unless something has gone catastrophically wrong. It's true. I, that's why I think your book is corrective because your book addresses that that central grief, and which is weird that I keep using these words like grief and and sadness because it's also kind of wickedly funny. But you've still managed to address the 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 problems in the original story and the thing that that Barry skated over, which is the the grief of motherhood. And the joy of motherhood. Right. And there, and there is a joy to it, but it's, you know, when your kids are little, people are always stopping you and saying, you know, it goes by so fast, mm. it goes by so fast. And you're so deep in the trenches that you hear the words, but you don't really get what that means. Or at least I didn't until mm -hmm. the last couple of years, because <laughs> then you're on fast forward the entire time. I mean, I, I feel like my kids, their high school, you know, went so fast mm -hmm. um it's it's like it's it's like a blink it's literally like i just dropped them off for their freshman day um and it's 
you know, it's, it's such, I mean, the only way I can think to describe it is that, you know, when you, when you have children, you know, it's life-changing. It's like it, it literally, no matter how hard you try, it transforms your life because everything about your life is different. I mean, you're the, you are the same person, but you're not, you've got this whole new, you know, responsibility. You've got just a whole new structure for your time and for your days. And then when they leave, it's transforming because everything that you've been doing for the past 18 or 20 years um, is gone. You know, it's, 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 it's just gone. And we have kind of a rite of passage for that when our kids are born, you know, we have baby showers, we have um, books, you know, what to expect when you're expecting and, you know, all those things. And I keep saying to my friends is like, forget that. Like, we don't need that. You know, if your baby has a place to sleep and has you, you're good. Um, what we need are showers for these last couple of years. You know, yes. we need somebody to come and bring us food and bring us wine and bring us chocolate and say, it's going to be okay. It's going to be a really big change in your life, but you're going to get through it and it's going to be great on the other side. Um, and we don't do that. You know, it's just this whole, for me, it's like this, this, you know, it's this really quiet morning because you can't go around saying to your kid, I'm so sad. I mean, I do that occasionally and it really annoys them, <laughs> but you can't, you know, because that's not what you're supposed to do. It's, it's planned obsolescence. Like you said, you have to open the door. You have to let them go. Um, so there's a, there's a grief to it. There's a really deep, deep grief, at least for me, of um, having that little family unit kind of implode mm -hmm. um, and not not and knowing it will never be the same you know that the night my daughter went to college for the first time because she was a pandemic freshman so she really didn't get to go freshman year yeah um but the night that she really left for college she brought out like 10 of her favorite baby books oh god and, and we and yes yeah, she, she kills me literally and we read them and i'm like i'm like crying just thinking about it oh you know because that's so much of what we do as a parent, right? I mean, for me, that's one of my crystal memories is reading them books at night, every night. Um, and now, you know, I, I walk by those books and I get, I get a little teary. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's a dumb little thing, but it really captures kind of what it's like. So, you know, so for Holly, she's fighting, she's fighting two things. She's fighting her son growing up and becoming independent but she's also fighting because she's afraid he won't be able to do that. Um, and, and the same with her daughter. So she's kind of getting it on all fronts. But the the grief that she feels, I think, is really universal. I think it's something that is a, just this dark vein that runs through parenthood, particularly motherhood, that we don't really um, we don't really talk that much about. Will you share with us um, what you're reading right now? Yes. So I am reading, um, I believe it's called. I'm actually listening to it on audio um, and it is amazing portrait of um, the, the marriage portrait by Maggie O'Farrell. And it is phenomenal. The narrator is amazing. And it's um, I think inspired by that poem, um, my last duchess. Um, and it's about um, this young Italian countess who um, is concerned. Her husband is trying to murder her. 
Whoa. So it's really, really good. Is that how you normally consume books? Because you said that you a lot of times listened on audio with your kids. Is that your favorite way to consume a book? Um, It's not my favorite. I love sitting down and reading, but I find that it's right now harder to make time for that. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm also, I just started reading um, in person. I I feel like it's not, I know it's not in person, but like (laughs) in actual book, Um, Sarah Allen Addison's new book. Um, I just started it last night and I stayed up way too late reading it. And the name of that one is Other Birds. Mm, what's um, that about? Um, I, I'm just a couple of pages into it, but it opens with a young girl who has gone back to um, the apartment where her mother spent some of her happiest times. And there's a mysterious sudden death. I think I'm, I'm only like 25 pages in. Um, and she has an invisible bird uh, as a pet that talks to her. So it's just, I, I, I think it's, just her books are so magical. One of my favorite books by her um, is Garden Spells. And it's about um, a family with magical apple trees. And she's just she's just a beautiful lyrical writer. Liz, I cannot tell you how much I have enjoyed talking to you. I absolutely love your book. I cannot wait to see what you do next. And I want to thank you for getting me to revisit Peter Pan and to rethink that that story which I have not thought deeply about in a long time. And it was really fun to learn more about it and think about its place in our culture. And I want to thank you for all of those things. Well, thank you so much for having me and for asking such smart, fun questions. I really appreciate it. Will you share with our listeners where they can find you online? Yes. Um, So I am on um, Instagram as Liz Mikelski author. And I'm on Twitter as uh, Mikelski Liz um, and Facebook under Liz Mikelski author as well. Super. Okay. Well, let's go find you there. Uh, Thank you for your time today. It's been really fun talking to you. Thank you so much. Bookworms, I would love to hear what you think of Liz's take on the Peter Pan story. And if you've enjoyed any other dark retellings, let me know about them over on Instagram at bestbookeverpodcast. Links to everything we discussed are in the show notes or at my website, bestbookeverpodcast.com. If you have a book you want to tell me about, click on the Be a Guest button on my website or Instagram bio so we can chat. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with your favorite fairy tale loving friend and rate it on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget to hit the follow or subscribe button so you don't miss any episodes. Thank you for joining me today. And I will see you at the library.